0: You are listening to the Living Way Church Podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. All right, now I don't know if you guys were on the Facebook group yesterday, but I put a special request out on the Facebook, and that was I needed a paddle, a spanking paddle. And uh, I got a few jokes and some stories about it and some funny comments. But uh, capital punishment is alive and well in many families, and I have here a tool of submission, and this is a, uh, this is a wooden spoon uh, that would break um, with, um, as a, for an older child. But for a younger child, it actually works quite nice. This isn't just any wooden spoon. I actually, this is called, this is the gypsy spoon, and uh, that is not in any way meant to be a derogatory term. This is because I literally bought it from gypsies. Um, When I was in the Ukraine on a mission trip uh, over a decade ago, about uh, 11, 12 years ago, I was in the Ukraine and there was a a gypsy kind of market and I bought a spoon that was uh, made by gypsies. And this has come in handy over the years with some youngins in our home and it stings just a little bit. And, uh, you know, this is one of those... Paddling devices. Now, when I was growing up, we had a serious paddle. Let I me mean, have like a serious paddle growing up. All right. Um, I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to take a spanking survey because there might be people who are, you know, might be getting in trouble with that. Um, we had a big paddle. And, and uh, let's just say we went through several of them because uh, they were basically cutting boards with a handle. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, these cutting boards with a handle um, were used as a as a device of correction in our home for many, many years, and uh, I think my brother broke many of them, uh, not as secret, but as on his hind end, they literally broke on him when he was getting spanked. So uh, this, as you can tell, is a little flimsy thing, and it was never broken because our girls were just so perfect. They're so submissive, and all it took is just, no, I'm just kidding, uh, we've had probably multiple things, and... Um, but a spanking is interesting as spanking says judgment is coming and judgment has arrived. And today we kick off a new series and we're going to talk about a book where judgment is and has arrived and is coming. And, uh, but before we get into our new series, I'm going to talk about the whole paddle judgment thing again is, uh, we're going to talk about some mystery guys. We're going to talk about 12 guys that uh, we we barely know their name. I mean, we know of uh, when I think of prophets, I think of somebody like a Jedi, right? You think of somebody. These are not the uh, the droids you're looking for, type guys. Or you you think of Gandalf, right? You know, big beards, long staff, you know, doing miracles and signs and wonders everywhere he goes, and roaming the land, and and uh, saying things like, "Thus says the Lord." You shall not pass, <sighs> you know. That's from Lord of the Rings, by the way. So yeah, that's what I think of when I think of uh, uh, prophets. But actually, they were uh, just random men of God who God used to bring a message. And uh, the paddle is a very clear message to some. So a lot of these prophets actually brought down the paddle. They actually brought the paddle. Now, you might have heard of guys like Moses. Isaiah, Daniel, maybe you heard of uh, names like Ezekiel, Uh, you might even know a little bit about him, but do you know about guys like not so famous Amos? Have you heard about a guy named Obadiah or Nahum or Hosea? Uh, uh, Hosea or uh, Micah. Uh, they're, they're, they're names that maybe you've heard of, and when you're looking for the name of a son, you pick these obscure names, right? You got, oh, yeah, he's named Micah, but you have no idea who Micah is, or you got Jonah, you got Malachi, you're not really sure who these guys are. Uh, well, we're gonna take the summer to walk in their steps and, and live the adventures that they lived, and we're gonna apply these major issues, these major stories from these minor prophets to our life. And uh, before we jump into the first book this week, I want to talk to you a little bit about what a prophet is. So uh, let's talk a little bit about a prophet. Uh, First of all, I want to set the stage for these prophets. Now, I've got a chart. Now, don't be freaked out by the chart, but here's the chart. All right? And basically, the chart tells a little bit of the timeline of how these prophets worked in our life. Uh, The greatest Old Testament prophet of all time is moses moses delivered the hebrew people from egypt into the land of israel maybe you've seen the prince of egypt or charlton heston in uh, the ten commandments or whatever maybe you've heard the story seen the cartoon um and and when moses led them out of egypt and then they were led into the promised land their own land god was to be their king But uh, uh, several years later, after struggle and years of fighting and war, and uh, some guys who were called judges who kind of stepped up to get everybody back in line, they decided they wanted a king. So they got a king, and his name was Saul. Saul was the perfect person for the job, except he lacked a deep faith in God. He looked the part. He was a great soldier. He was a warrior. He was just a... He looked... And fit the role, but his heart was far from God, and was very shaky at best in his walk with God. So, uh, because of that, God gave His throne, the Saul's throne, not to his son, but to a new kid named David. And David became the greatest king of Israel that they ever had. And uh, he passed his throne on to his son. And you might have heard of the guy named Solomon. That's David's son. And Solomon is known as the wisest guy who ever lived until he got older. And then he became one of the dumbest guys who ever lived because he had many, many wives. And it began to be his downfall. And he began to fall away from God. Not so wise after all. Well, because he began to fall away with God, there was a civil war in his kingdom between people who thought Solomon was a good king and people who thought he was a bad king. So when Solomon died, he passed his throne over to his son, Rehoboam. But because there was a civil war, Rehoboam's very best friend, Jeroboam, felt like he should be king. And so he rallied 10 of the 12 tribes to join him. And then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, only rallied two tribes to join him. And the kingdom split in two. And as you see on the graph there, there's the southern kingdom, and then there's the northern kingdom. And the southern kingdom was led by uh, a group called Judah, and that was Rehoboam. And the northern kingdom was Jeroboam, and that was known as Israel. What follows, as you can see, was a series of kings on both sides. Two kingdoms, one land, and one God they were supposed to be serving. And they were constantly at war with each other and at war with their neighbors around them. It was a very strange time in the history of Israel. The southern kingdom had 20 kings, and some of them actually loved God. In the northern kingdom, had have 19 kings, and the majority of them did not love God at all. In fact, some of those kings only were king for like three months before God took them out. And during the course of this time, you can see over on the left here, this is the time of the minor prophets. You can see here in the middle, big prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel, they also were there during that time. So some of the minor prophets were contemporaries to the major prophets. Now, there came a point in their life where God had had enough of both of these kingdoms. His patience ran out with the northern kingdom first, and they were taken as slaves to Assyria, which is where modern-day Syria is today. So they were taken off, and they just disappeared. The southern kingdom, they lasted a little bit longer, and then God had had his share, his patience with them, and then they were taken off as slaves to an area called Babylon, which is where Iraq is today. A little less than 100 years later, some of them were allowed to go back and rebuild their their nation, but they were still under the control of, uh, of the Persians at that point. So after this exile, they, they didn't have a nation to their own until, well, until the 60s. So this is interesting here. This is the time of the minor prophets. They were struggling in their walk with God. They couldn't get their act together. So God would send these men with a message to get it together. So Here's the deal about prophets. First thing I want you to know is that we all need God's prophetic confrontation in our lives. That's what a prophet does. He, he speaks into our life in an area that needs to be addressed, right? And there are times in our life, every one of you in this room need a prophetic confrontation from time to time. And if you are in relationship with God, God will make sure to bring someone into your life to confront you. And whether it be a pastor or a friend or even your spouse or your kids, it could be a parent. It's a, it's a god sent prophetic confrontation into your life to shake you up and get your eyes back on him. And we all need that confrontation at times. And they needed it a lot. Here's another thing I want you to know about prophets is that a prophet is one with a message. The word prophet means sent with a message. That's what it means. It's one who speaks for another. In fact, you want to know what the Greek word for prophet is? Prophet. That's the actual word. It means, they said, well, we don't even know what to call it. Let's just call it what it is, prophet. And what it means is message giver. So when you think of the prophets... Just think, it might even be simple to think that a prophet is simply a preacher who says what God's told them at specific times with a specific word from God. Now, oftentimes our kids are in the prophetic. Let me explain. You're like, what? Yeah. Right, let me explain. Uh, let's just say, for example, that my kids are outside playing, right? And um, say say summer uh, is inside, and I say Go outside and tell your sister and the kids to come inside, right? So I send her with a message, and she walks out and she says, Dad says, come inside, right? You ever, you ever been one of those moments where you used to tell your sister, to come down and eat? Come down and eat! Uh, I could have done that, right? Okay, well, then mom says, come down and eat, okay? So that's like a Thus Says the Lord. A message was given to them to relay. So oftentimes, that's a perfect example of how a prophet moves and says, hey, God says, the father says, dad says, come inside. Dad says you're going to get in trouble if you don't stop that. So that's the message of the prophet. The Old Testament prophets were sent with a message from God. The minor prophets are not less important. It just means they're smaller books. In fact, some of the books... Are one page and 20 verses long, the one we're looking at today, we're going to fly over. It's only three chapters, very small. You could go home after today and read Joel tonight. In fact, I encourage you, after we finish a prophet, go home and read it during the week. Unpack it, dissect it, because we're just doing a flyover. And I want you to know this. However, the difference between my daughters and myself is that a prophet is never wrong. A prophet is never wrong. In the Bible, a prophet was given a high place of accountability. And Deuteronomy 13 says that if they preached anything other than what the word of God said, they were to be ostracized and kicked out. And if they preached something that didn't come true, they were to be stoned to death. I think we'd have a lot less prophets today if we took that to heart. You know what I'm saying? We have a lot of people in certain nominations that I'm a prophet. They got a prophetic ministry. You just Google prophet and you're going to have like prophet conferences and where people are coming in and rather than read God's word for their life, they'd rather have someone point their finger and tell them what to do. You know, prophets are, by the way, last case scenarios for god god doesn't want to use a prophet he wants to be your king he wants to speak into your life and when we're deaf to god when we don't hear god when we don't allow him to speak into our life then he sends someone with a message to get your attention so if you're seeking a prophet stop seek god and he will talk to you all right so prophets were never wrong in the bible and I want you to know this, uh, the pastor, in many ways, though I don't claim to be a prophet, because I'm preaching a message of God and I'm preaching out of the Word of God, I've got to learn to walk in the prophetic. So sometimes you come and you're like, man, this was, this was for me today. This, this connected with me. And you know what? I didn't know that. I'm just preaching God's Word and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak. And it doesn't mean I'm perfect it doesn't mean I don't make mistakes I'm not claiming to be like an old testament prophet But I want to encourage you to know that when pastors and leaders and elders and things get in front of you to speak into your life They're speaking in a prophetic Here's the last thing I want you to know about prophets that a prophet is more concerned with revealing god than predicting the future They were not wandering fortune tellers They were not palm readers and they were at times reluctant messengers who loved God and who, more importantly, they loved the people that God loved. And uh, they also sometimes foretold things of the coming Messiah. So I want you to realize that, that when we read through the prophets, it's not about, always about future events. Today we're going to talk about something future and a relevant thing. Most of the prophets' messages were... Uh write locally, write to them now messages to God wants you to write now, connect with them. And if you don't, here's what you can look forward to. That's the message of the prophets. It is a right now message revealing how you can connect with God right now. So I want you to know that because they're not fortune tellers, they're not this kind of like you know, futuristic, kind of obsessive people. Um so we're going to try to go in order of these minor prophets, however, it's kind of, uh, it's, that's complicated because they're not really sure in all of their lives who was first, but we're going to try our best. So today, the minor prophets, they're small, you can read them in one sitting, doesn't make them less significant, major issues in minor prophets. Uh, prophets. All right, so we're going to be talking about the paddle today, we're going to talk about judgment. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had one of those seasons in your life where just everything was great? You ever had one of those? Very few of us, right? <laughs> it's like, everything's awesome. You know, maybe you've had a week like that. And you got the, the good parking spot. You just got a raise or things are going great in your family. You're leaving for work and you said, I love you, honey. You got a kiss. You had a great night the, the night before and, or you wake up. You had a, just a good day. Things are going pretty well. doesn't mean everything's perfect, but in that life, is good, and then all of a sudden, bam, everything is taken away from you. You you start getting a pain in your side and the doctor says it's not good. Or all of a sudden you go to work and you love your job and they say sorry, downsize and we're letting you go. Or or you're having a great day and boom, someone hits you uh at, at the intersection and, and the car you just got got wrecked, and and or the only car you have broke down, or it's 120 degrees and your AC decides to go out yesterday, right? Anybody's AC went out yesterday? Some of you, it happens, you know, and you're like, oh, God, why, you know, when things are going right, when everything seems to fall apart, it's like when everything's going good and all hell breaks loose and you wonder, where is God? Well, God is called out to in the book of Joel because all hell breaks loose. Their life falls apart. This is the backdrop of the book of Joel. By the way, Joel means this. It means Yahweh is God, and he's speaking to Judah, the southern kingdom. All right. Remember the kingdom split in half. So he's speaking to Judah. Here's the deal though. And this is the question that when we cry out for the presence of God, are we truly prepared for what the presence of God will bring? And that's the question I put on Facebook this week. It's the question I've been kind of telling our leaders and talking to them about as far as um, how the, the service is going to go today. And there's a question because, you know, when Jesus throws up, you know what he does? He flips over tables. He, 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 uh, you know, when Jesus shows up, oftentimes he, he throws out the money changers and, and he beats those that are, uh, that are out of the will of God. You know, he did that. You know, when God shows up, it's not just rainbows and, and care bears and, and unicorns. When God shows up, there there's a bit of there's a paddle that comes with them if if there's justice that needs to be served. And a lot of times when he shows up, not only does he show up to rescue, but he also shows up in his power with justice and with confrontation. And the issue today, I want to ask you, do you really want God to show up in your family? Some of you say, God, I need you in my marriage. Do you really want God to show up in your marriage? Some of you, you're praying for your husband. And if God shows up in your marriage, he's going to you first. Some of you guys, you're praying for your wife. God, I need you. Well, he's he's going to talk to you first. Well, I need him to show up in my family. What do you want? The presence of God to show up. Because when he does, what comes with him is here's what needs to work in your life differently. So I want to ask you, are you prepared? Are you sure? Are you ready for the presence of God? Joel reminds us that when God shows up, it can be a great day and it can be a horrible day. So let's jump in. Joel one. 1. Let's read this. This is going to go pretty quick from here. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Now that's a name you don't hear people call their kids. Um, Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in this land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? What is he talking about? What just occurred in Israel was a massive devastation moment of locusts. Throw up this picture up here, Luke. Look at these locusts. This is a real locust swarm and infestation. Now, I want you to realize, Israel, they were doing all right. Uh, Judah was doing all right. Things were going well. And then all of a sudden... Boom, in one day, a swarm of locusts destroyed everything they had. It killed their crops. It killed their animals. It was making them sick. It was destroying their homes. And in one day, in one moment, things went from great to horrible and all hell broke loose. And Joel starts off saying, have you ever seen anything like this before? In verse 3, he says, your children's children will be talking about this. He says, this is severe devastation. It will never be forgotten. Look at some of these other pictures. Look at this next one. This is, uh, again, these are current pictures, real swarms. Now, a lot of these swarms now occur in the desert because when they infest a a populated area, it just kind of destroys them all. Here's, Here's another one. Isn't this crazy? That's all locusts. Now, just so that you can have an idea of the mindset of what they were going through, here's some pictures of devastation from today. I want you to imagine maybe a, a hurricane hit or a tornado hit or something. How, how one day they woke up and they had no idea that by the end of the day, everything they had would be taken away from them. Here's another picture. Take a look at this one. Everything that they had was changed in a moment. Here's, uh, I believe we've got two more. This one. Total devastation and uh, is there one more is that the here we go? That's the last one So this is the image. This is the story And I want you to write this down joel is Reminding them that god's giving them a wake-up call joel in four acts first part of joel is this god's wake-up call God's wake-up call Terrible locust invasion has wiped them all out their whole life falls apart And joel says that was horrible I mean he spends the whole first chapter saying that was absolutely horrible Devastating to everything that we have and know and then he says this everything was lost Then he tells them but you ain't seen anything yet Because the day of the lord is coming. He says you think that was bad And you're crying out for god's presence but when he comes It might be worse than the locust. This is what he says in the next verse, in in, uh, verse 13. He says, put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Well, you who minister before the altar... Come, spend the night in sackcloth. This is, this is, these are symbols of mourning and pain and, and crying out and brokenness. He says, you who minister before my God for the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. That means you don't even have anything to be able to worship God with. He says, declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. He says, you thought that the devastation of that locust that we are still trying to recover from is horrible? Just call out to God and pray for his mercy because if you don't, when he comes, it's going to be way worse than a natural disaster. It's going to be way worse than total devastation. This was a wake-up call to people that were drifting away from God. Basically, God's coming, and he's not happy. And then he says this in chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Now, i got to tell you something funny. I grew up in a charismatic church where in the 80s, anybody grew up in the church in the 80s? Anybody 80 church people? All right, a couple of you. Now, there is a church song that we sang called Blow the trumpet in Zion. It goes... They rush you on the cities, they run on... By the way, in the 80s, it was like 80% of Christian songs were like Jewish hop songs. So like, they rush you on the cities, they run on the... We like do all this. It was, yeah. All right, it's what it is. Um, so there was like a lot of... There was like a Jewish phase in the Christian worship songs. Aren't you glad we're not doing Jewish songs uh, uh, Jewish theme song. So this was a the song. They rush on the cities. They run on the walls. Great is the army that carries out his word. They rush on the cities. They run on the wall. Great is the army that carries out his word. The Lord utters his voice before his army. The Lord his voice before his army blow the trumpet in Zion Zion sound the alarm God's holy mountain blow the trumpet in Zion Zion boom boom sound the alarm and we'd be like yeah you know that entire song is out of Joel chapter 2 here's the irony of that song we used to sing that like oh God is good blow the trumpet yeah that is a song about people running for their life from the wrath of God Blow the trumpet, God's army of destruction and judgment on us is coming. That's what it is. In fact, that verse in verse nine, it says, "They rush on the cities, they run on the wall." And then it says the next verse says, "They climb into the houses like thieves, they enter through the windows." It's like the army will invade your life. Help, they're coming after us. So it says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm. Verse 2 says, let all who live in the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes. Such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. We used to sing that song like, "Oh God, we love you," but it's a song of God's judgment coming upon His own people. I don't think we were very smart in singing that song. You know, it makes me think of when, uh, when, when children. Um, you know, uh, if you, Dad, if you happen to be at work during the day, and um, you know, when you come home, man, I loved when my my girls were little, and I love them now, but. When I used to come home, I was like, daddy, right? I mean, there's nothing, I was talking to someone this last week, there's nothing more beautiful than the sound of your own children calling you daddy, particularly a small child. He's like, oh, they love me, right? So they're coming, daddy, they they used to tackle me, no matter wherever they're at, no matter whether they're in the room, they're grabbing your arms and like, get off me, you know, it was fun. And when only one of them came running, you know, somebody got in trouble right so when only one says daddy where's the other one hmm? at some point in the day that other child had gotten in trouble and mom might have said well wait till your father gets home so all of a sudden daddy's excitement of being home is now filled with fear and tre- and trembling right because with daddy's coming home comes judgment comes possibly the paddle comes discipline So when God comes home, sometimes it's a great day, and sometimes it's a day of judgment. It's a horrible day. This is the picture here. Joel is painting a picture. He says, Dad's coming home. And for some of you, it'll be Daddy. And for some of you, you'll be hiding. It's a horrible day of fear and trembling. Verse 11 says, The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? So the first half of Joel is devastating description of events that took place and the coming events of God's coming. Then Joel offers an invitation. The second part is about this, God's invitation. That's the first one, God's wake-up call. The second is God's invitation to have them be restored and pour out his spirit. This is verse 12. It says this. It says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. With fasting and weeping and mourning. This is the Lord's invitation. He says, return to me. He says, rend your heart and not your garments. You see, here's what they would do. When they were, uh, you know, trying to cry out to God, they would take their clothes, they would rip their, they would rend them, they would rip them apart. So uh, like these priests and people, they go, oh God. And it, was a, uh, and it became a symbol of, of brokenness. But a lot of times people would rend their garments with no heart change. And God said, you know, rend your heart, not your garments. Don't let it be just an outward sign of brokenness. Don't just walk an hour, or pray a prayer or say, God, forgive me, but let your heart be torn. Rend your heart, lay your heart open before me. This is not about being more religious. This is about being broken before God, humbled and downcast. He says, return to the Lord your God. That return means to repent. It means that you're going in this direction. It's time to turn around and go in the other direction. Return. He's saying, repent, turn around. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. That means he will change Not his mind, because God is not like, man, that he should change his mind. But he will actually move his plans to be fulfilled in a way that doesn't affect your judgment. He says, who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. So Joel extends an invitation. He says, some of you are so far from God. You're going through the motions. It's time to be broken and humbled because the Lord is coming. And when the presence of God shows up, so is a paddle. And he says, but if you will be broken before God, if you will lay your heart bare before him and turn from the direction you're going to a, a direction that turns towards God, he says, God might just show up and turn your life around. He might turn your calamity into blessing. He will change your life. Joel tells them that if they don't, an army greater than locusts, will swoop in like a swarm and take them all out. That's the rest of chapter two. So they humbled themselves and they cried out to God. And this is what happened. Verse, uh, this third part is God's wake up. Number two is God's invitation. This one is God's response. And that is, I receive you. I will bless you. I will rescue you. I forgive you. They cried out to God and humbled. They cleaned house inside and out. Joel 2.18 says, then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. God tells them, he says, I'm going to push back the locusts and I'm going to restore your land. I'm going to restore your cattle. I'm going to restore your homes, all that the locusts have eaten. And then a beautiful verse in the Bible is Joel 2.25. He says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. Man, one of the greatest verses of the Bible the great locusts and the young locusts and the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. He says, basically everything that has been robbed and stolen from you, these swarms of enemies and, and infestations in your life, he says, I will restore. Then you will know that I am in Israel and that I am the Lord your God and that there is no other and never again will my people be shamed. You see, the locusts turned out to be a good thing. For them, it revealed God's return Everything falling apart became a moment of blessing for them. Here's the last thing. There's God's uh, wake-up call, God's invitation, God's um, response, and then what happens with the next of Joel is God's restoration plan, and he actually starts getting, talking about future things. Let's read some of it. Joel 2.28 says, And afterward I will pour my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. He's talking about a future event where the Spirit of God will fall upon us and empower us from the inside out. Now, this is God's promise to empower and to be present with us. And he says, there's going to come a day when not only am I going to show up and be with you, but I'm going to show up and be in you. And, you know, in Acts chapter 2, Peter stood up in front of everybody and began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell upon them all, and they began to speak in a new language. The power of God began to fill them with boldness and Peter quoted Joel right there. And he says, this is what Joel prophesied. He says, this day it is fulfilled. And he says, at this moment, right now, 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus, Joel is coming to life. And from this day forward, through Jesus Christ, not only is the Spirit of God with us, but through Jesus, the Spirit is now in us. What a great thing to look forward to. They didn't get it. We got it. The rest of Joel is Joel looking to a time when God will come to judge all mankind and restore and establish a kingdom. So what's the takeaway from this book? I wanna give you three things that Joel says that we can take home with us today. Joel on the go, the prophet's words to us today. By the way, we need to be careful when applying the prophets because here's the deal. They were not written to us, Okay, Joel is not written to me. It was not written to you. Joel was written to Judah. So if we want to know what Joel means, we need to read it like we're from Judah, understand how they read it, and then find out how it applies to us. Because I think a lot of preachers are guilty of taking the Bible and trying to apply a passage or something to their current time and trying to say, well, this means this, this means that. We need to read it through the eyes of Judah and then find out how it applies to us. And a lot of times, especially in the prophets, people often take out of context. And they'll say, natural disasters, that means everything bad that's ever happened, 9-11, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, that's God's judgment, just like Joel. No, 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 just step back, I'm not saying that. When a disaster comes, I'm not saying Joel is our word, all right? But there are things in Joel that we can take away from these things. Those are specific events and moments that God dealt with them, And we need to read it through their eyes and not just read it for us. It was written to them, but preserved for us, okay? And also a lot of times read into the prophets in times events and they start like, you know, saying like in a minute, we're gonna take just a glimpse at some of the future stuff that Joel talked about. And a lot of times people try to apply it to to politics or to the president or to world events. And we need to be very careful in how we do that. So we hear a few things, just three things to know from Joel that we can know for sure. And the first one is this. When life falls apart, God just might be trying to say something. When your life seems to be falling apart, when all hell breaks loose in your life, God just might be trying to say something. Now, I'm not saying that, that every bad that thing that happens is, is God trying to talk to you, but we need to realize that when, this, when these things happen, we need to look in the mirror. We need to say, God, my life has falling apart. Are you trying to get my attention? Are you trying to get me down on my knees? Are you trying to get me in a gutter so that I can finally look up for once? We need to look in the mirror. And if there's sin in our life, we need to get rid of it. And if there's not sin in our life, we need to hold on. Because some of you are like Joel. Let me tell you something. When that swarm of locusts came, they didn't pass over Joel's house. They didn't skip Joel's family. Joel was right in the middle of that swarm of disaster. And God was not trying to speak a change for Joel. Joel was the message giver. And some of us like Joel are just caught in the, in the, in the disaster rubble, right? And I want you to know, so when the disasters come in your life, when trials come, when something is falling apart, look in the mirror, God, do I need to work on something? And if you searched your heart and found something, lay it bare before the Lord. Rinse your heart. Say, God, here I am. I'm broken before you. Thank you for revealing it to me through a heartache. And if you don't see anything, just hang on and trust God because he's doing a great work in you and the people around you. Sometimes, we are the Joel, and sometimes we're Judah. Here's the second thing I want you to know about Joel that we can take home with us is that the final day of the Lord will not be great for everyone. For some of you, when dad comes home, we'll be going, Daddy, I love you, Daddy." We'll be grabbing onto him. And for some of us, we'll be hiding in our closet. For some of us, we'll be running from him. We'll be fearful of him. We'll be unready. It will be a great day for some and a horrible day for others. And this is important. They thought that when the Lord showed up, he would just like fix everything. He would like, you know, repair everything, replace everything, and, you know, wipe out all their enemies. But I want to tell you something. When you call for the presence of God in your family, in your life, and you're saying, God, I want more of you, then you know what? If God's going to be more in you, guess what's got to be less? You. The only way that God can be more in you, if this is if there's less of you. So when we say, God, more of you, the rest of it has got to be less of me. And that less of me means that parts of our life have got to be taken out, weeded out, rooted out, picked out. Junk has got to come out. The closer we cry out to God, let me tell you, when you get saved, God has called you his child. You are holy, you are righteous in his eyes. However, there's a lot of habits and junk that kind of hang on to our life when we give our life to Jesus. So when we give our life to Jesus and we say, God, thank you for saving me. God, I want more of you. Then God says, and I need to have less of you. And all that stuff that's kind of bringing you down and and tying you down and confusing you and causing you to stumble, that stuff's got to be weeding out. This is not a salvation issue. This is a walk with God, sensing and knowing his presence issue so for some of you it's time to get right with god that's the cry of joel get right with god because he's coming dad's coming home and he's got a paddle in his hand we do the same we get excited about the return of jesus and cry out for his presence but i don't think we're ready for him to show up look at verse 30 of joel chapter 2 he says, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Joe begins to talk in this apocalyptic style, using a hyperbole. That means very ex- uh, extravagant, exaggerated words to talk about the great and glorious final return of Jesus. This is a multi-layered prophecy. Number one, it's a prophecy of the actual judgment that came upon them years later when they were sent into exile and the temple was destroyed. Number two, It also represents that great day when the actual temple was destroyed in the lifetime of the disciples When peter stood up and said joel is fulfilled in our lifetime. It happened Just 40 years later that entire city was brought down to complete rubble and joel was fulfilled And now joel is also a picture of the coming day of the return of christ in one day in one moment so he gives us this, this multi-tiered prophecy. It's a glimpse of the final return as well as what was happening then. He will be a refuge to some and he'll be judgment for others. And here's the last thing I want you to know about Joel this week is that you are never too far to find God's forgiveness and fresh start. That's the beauty of the message of Joel. God always prefers forgiveness over judgment. You see, he says, judgment is coming. But then he says in verse 12 of chapter two, he says, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. He says, if you will turn from yourself and turn to me, I won't bring my judgment. Romans says that there's no condemnation, no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the beauty of Joel. This is the beauty of what Jesus has done. Some of you, God is giving you an even now moment today. Some of you are not walking with God. Some of you are, 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 are playing around with God. You're playing with, with things. You're, you're putting on the God thing. You know, you're renting your garments, but not your heart, you know. And God's saying, but even now, even now, today, if you will turn from yourself and turn to me, I will relent. Romans 5a says, but God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies and wanted nothing to do with God, Jesus said, here I am, here I have come. Verse 9, since we have now been justified, that means made right by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies... We will reconcile, that means brought back to him, that means made friends again with God, friendship restored, we will reconcile, made friends again with God through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, made friends again, shall we be saved through his, that's Jesus' life. See, here's the deal, when I was a kid, I've... I, shared this with some of our young people. When I was a kid and we got spankings, I, I was uh, raised in, in large portions of my life by a single mother, okay? So my mom brought the wrath down. She she had to be extra tough because uh, she just felt like she needed to if we were going to take her serious. So whenever we did something bad, uh, usually we were all involved, or at least my brother and I, for sure. Uh, my sister, who is the oldest one, would look at me and my Precious, cute little blue eyes and my curly blonde hair and my cute rosy cheeks. I would just be crying because I knew that I was getting a spanking. She saw my humbleness and brokenness. She took pity on me. And you know what my sister would often do? When mom got home, she would say, I did it. And more than once, my sister got my licks. More than one, my sister got the paddle in my place. I wanna tell you something, I'm thankful. (laughs) When I was a kid, I was very thankful, right? But we have an advocate, we have Jesus. And if we will go before him and rend our hearts, if we will be broken before the Lord, our father will take pity on us. And there is one who will step up and take the licks for us. His name is Jesus Christ. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While it should have been us, Paying for our own sins. Jesus said, No, Father, I'll take the wrath of the spankings. I'll take the wrath of the judgment. I will be the satisfier of justice. And Jesus went to the cross in our place. He took our judgment, our shame, our punishment. He took our spankings on the cross. And through him we have found the grace of God, forgiveness. And fresh start and Joel is a beautiful picture of Jesus who is the Savior who comes to redeem and restore the one who comes to take our lichens for us a father who's serious about his holiness and who's serious about us following him a great verse Romans 10:13 Paul is quoting Joel when he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter quotes Joel in chapter 2 when he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That great verse in in, uh, in Joel that says, what the locusts have eaten, I will restore. That's the message to you today. Some of you, your life has fallen apart. And the Lord has said, what that marriage has stolen from you, what that Relationship with that guy, with that girl, with that injury, with that experience, with that church, all those things that the locusts have stolen and robbed and destroyed in your life, the Lord says, I will restore if you will come to me. That's the message of Joel, a God who restores in Christ. I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask the band to come forward. I got a little video I want to play for you about the presence of God, but. I want you to know that the Lord is present here. And for some of you, even now, this is your day. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are with us. God, thank you so much that your grace is faithful to forgive us. God, I thank you for the book of Joel, which is an invitation for us to find the Savior. God, thank you for the book of Joel. Uh, Joel, for it is a a, a book of of how we are to humble ourselves before you and that that when we humble ourselves and come broken and bare before you, that you are faithful to forgive and you are faithful to restore what the enemy has stolen. God, thank you that we can have your grace to begin again. With head bowed and eyes closed, I wanna ask you, do you need an even now moment? Will you have one right now? For some of you, you've been running from God for too long. You've been playing around with church for too long. You've been going through the motions for too long. And the prophet Joel speaks to us today. Turn from ourself, turn to the Lord and find grace. But if we don't, there will come a day where we will find the wrath of our father. Because that's what a good father does. He keeps his word and he does the right thing. God, I thank you for your grace and mercy to forgive us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to play a a very short video, and I'm going to have the ushers come forward at this time. We're going to take up our offering during this video. And uh, as soon as the video is over, I'm going to hand it back over to Chris and the band, and they're going to lead us in worship. Uh, We've seen that Great is the Lord song. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you... Need some time to cry out to god and rend your heart Uh, you know rather than me lead you in a prayer. Why don't you just talk to god? All right. So after this video, I want you to to see God's grace for us and then when we worship god, will you just cry out to god if, if you're here and you need him Maybe you've been away from him for a while or maybe you've never known him During this next song that we're going to sing. Will you just cry out to Him say god forgive me? Thank you for the cross Your resurrection proved that it was true Show me how he can be more like you, Lord, I pray. I'm going to invite you to pray that. Just talk to God on your own. Uh, Thank you for being a part of our worship service today. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.